Hello, everybody. You're listening to Dames Not Damsels. Dames Not Damsels. And today we are so excited. We are talking with Cameron Hurley. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Cameron is the author of the nonfiction collection, The Geek Feminist Revolution, which contains the Hugo Award-winning essay, We Have Always Fought. Her epic fantasy series, The World Breaker Saga, is comprised of the novels The Mirror Empire, Empire Ascendant, and The Broken Heavens. Her most recent work and first space opera, The Stars Are Legion, was just released last month. Her first series, The God's War Trilogy, is a science fantasy noir series which earned her the Sidney J. Bounds Award for Best Newcomer and the Kitschy Award for Best Debut Novel. Her short fiction has appeared in Popular Science Magazine, Lightspeed Magazine, Year's Best SF, The Lowest Heaven, and Meeting Infinity. She's also written for The Atlantic, Entertainment Weekly, LA Weekly, The Village Voice, Huffington Post, and Locus Magazine. We are so excited to talk to her. Super excited. We're going to ask her a couple questions, pick her brain a little bit, and uh, just get to know her a little better. Just a quick warning here. Cameron is so much fun and so honest and so real, and there will be a slight bit of cursing on this episode. So if you're with your kids, maybe save this episode for another time when you're not. Do, do, do. Hello, this is Cameron. Hi, Cameron. This is Laura and Bree. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing quite well, thank you. Oh, good. We're so glad to hear it. Thank you so much for agreeing to to talk with us a little bit. Oh, absolutely. So, Cameron, we are so excited to be talking with you. The the Geek Feminist Revolution basically speaks to everything that we're trying to do here at Dames Not Damsels. I mean, the whole time I read your book, I was just fangirling. So, like, excuse me if it gets a little weird, and um, I apologize, but I think that I'm in love with you. Um, (laughs) So, we just really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. We'd like to get into your head a little bit about how to speak to these things in a way that can be heard by the masses, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We feel like this is going to be an awesome opportunity for us to, to learn from you. Oh, cool. I will, I will do my best. <laughs> no pressure, Cameron. No pressure. No, yeah. no pressure at all. <laughs> the whole time I was reading The Geek Feminist Revolution, I feel like every other page I was going, yes, yes, queen. She knows. <laughs> she gets it. She's in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. You bring up these particular examples of what your experience is, and it, it reaches out to those broader levels as well. And, and it's hard when you feel down about certain things and then realize, you know, it's things that other people are experiencing too, to not be bummed out. And you have this great way of bringing optimism in it. And I, and mm-hmm. I wonder, how do you stay optimistic when the evidence is so disheartening sometimes? <laughs> uh, first, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All Go right. Let's be yourself. Um, you know, uh, I'm a history major, which has its its pros and cons. Sure. You know, I got my MA in um, uh, the history of resistance movements, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I w- was in South Africa. Again, you guys read the book, but just for everyone. Um, I lived in South Africa for a year and a half, and I looked at um, the history of, uh, you know, uh, women fighters uh, and also the recruitment of students in the uh, by the ANC, the African National Congress, in the war against apartheid. Um, and, uh, you know, South Africa was one of those amazing uh, kind of bloodless, quote unquote, bloodless revolutions uh, where, you know, the ANC finally they, they got him to step aside. Um, you know, Nelson Mandela was was in his uh, the ANC was actually labeled a terrorist organization um, and they managed to have a peaceful transition of power. Uh, and, yeah, that's great. It sounds wonderful. It's a beautiful story. Well, you go there, you know, and people are really frustrated because it was like, you know, we still have all these problems. <laughs> we still right. have all these problems. 
um, you know, now it's just new people in power and it's great. We can all vote. And, you know, the, the abuses are less, but there's still a lot of abuse and there's still a lot of corruption. There's still a lot of problems. And I think, um, you know, certainly to a much lesser extent, but there was sort of this uh, thing when Obama was was, you know, put into office. People were like, well, he's not progressive enough. Why isn't enough things happening? And people were really disillusioned. We expect and we've come to expect um, especially in this this time of like, you know, things are changing so fast. You upgrade your phone every two years and, you know, you're, you're, oh, there's VR now and there's this and that. Um, we're so used to this rapid, rapid, rapid pace of change. Whereas if you were to talk to the folks who are involved in Stonewall, the Stonewall riots, um, they would say, you know what, we would never in a million years have imagined that in our lifetimes they would legalize gay marriage. Never, right. never. Right. Um, it was it was. Yeah, it, that was that's impossible. Um, so that the pace of that happening and, and it happened through a, a huge concerted effort. Again, talk about, you know, folks on the phones and, and uh, in in their reps offices and, and talk, speaking out publicly. That was a huge thing. And it still took a long time. Um, you know, in, in our relative, like we think, oh, you know, uh, you know, it took it took like, 40 years, 50 years. Um if you look at it from from possibly Stonewall being like the the, the real tipping point there. Um, but really, that's incredibly fast. It's incredibly fast. And so we're expecting things to happen in like two years. Right. Um, and that's just not how change works. Um, my mom was very frustrated. Actually, I was talking to my mom. She's 60 now. And she said, you know, um, oh, why are the, about the women's marches in D.C.? Why are women marching? Nothing ever changes. It's not going to change anything. <laughs> I said, Mom. Here's the thing, mom. Would you rather we just lie back and think of England? Like you, you gotta, you gotta have something. You have to have that small incremental change. Um, and it doesn't happen as fast as you want. I, I was watching, but then, but then we also don't notice the things that do change, the little things. I was actually rewatching a show called Moonlighting that came out in um, the '80s, and it stars Sybil Shepherd and. Um, uh, Bruce Willis, very young Bruce Willis, who plays this horrifically chauvinistic asshole of guy. And I remember <laughs> thinking fondly of this as a child, right? right. Oh, she's a woman detective and she's great. Like she has ruthlessly insulted like the entire time. Uh, he calls her a cold bitch in the first episode. I'm like, whoa, this is our hero. What? <laughs> uh, and then you step back and you go, wow, like that was considered a progressive show because she was, you know, a part of the detective agency, but it's hugely sexist against her. Um, and so I look at that and I go, you know, there are a few things that have changed. Things are a little better. Um, and here's the thing, too, that happens. And I knew everyone knew um, with the rapid pace of uh, progressive change in this country, a backlash was coming. Everyone knew. Uh, yeah. I was I was hoping we had five more years. Um, someone asked me about <laughs> this last year. Yeah, early last year, you know, when Geek Feminist came out and said, how long do you think we have before the backlash? I said, you know, I want five years. I'm hoping we get five years. But, it, you know, the backlash came fast, too. Yeah. Um, and it was coming. No matter who won, um, you know, there was there was shit was going to come down. Yeah. And you just have to understand that that is the cycle. And it's shit. It sucks. I, I, you know, I understand. <laughs> I, I, I want everything to be the happy Star Trek future, right? Um, but getting to Star Trek future, and someone pointed out, you know, depressingly, they're like, yeah, but they had to have a World War Three too before they. Yes. <laughs> before they- <laughs> Such a good point. Uh, unfortunately, but um, and and some of it, I look at this now too, where I'm just like, well, this is what you guys wanted, so now you've got what you wanted, and now you're gonna see what it's like. Um. And the hope is that uh, someone had actually said this, you know, I've never seen the left as um, 
uh, you know, I've never, never seen the le- the left come together as much as they have in the last, you know, uh, you know, six or a few months. Um, and and so you have to understand that these things work in cycles and that, uh, you know, change, you're going to get, you know, 10 steps ahead and then you're going to go 11 steps back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I tried to take solace in that. I actually have a sign above a computer that says, um, in times like these, it helps to remember that there have always been times like these. Um, oh, everyone that. has had to deal with shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I look like to the past and, and have a, a real, um, I like the story. The, I, my, my parents and, and the generations are very story based. Like again, my grandmother, um, you know, grew up in Nazi occupied France. She met my grandfather and he was, uh, you know, uh, uh American GI, um, and I just look back at those generations, right? Like she lived under Nazi occupied France. If she can do that, <laughs> we're going to be okay. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So I, I really look back as a way of looking forward, knowing things change and remember how fast they just change. They can change that fast again in a different direction. Um, and so you just got to keep pushing. So. Absolutely. I really love how, how real you are. I love that you, you're looking at the reality instead of oh, yeah. the, the no, bubble. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody yeah. likes to look at the positive and what exactly is going to happen and how they want it to happen. And you're very realistic. And I, I absolutely love that about you. <laughs> oh, well, good. But yes. I, I think we have to be. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm that way about my writing career as well. Um, people are like, oh, my God, you talk about your sales numbers and your how much you make. And I was like, well, yeah, because people think you're going to make a million dollars. You're going to publish a book and make a million dollars. I'm like, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> it's just yes. it's just not. Exactly. It's like you have a one in a bazillionaire chance uh, of that ever happening. Most of us uh, make a uh, that it's like a side income. It's like my travel budget. <laughs> you know? I'm like, yeah, oh, that was nice. I'll put that toward my student loan debt. Uh, <laughs> So and so, if we lie to people, I don't like the idea of of uh, misleading people because I think that what ends up happening is when someone then, as a first time writer, goes out and gets their first advance and it's for five thousand dollars, they think I'm a failure. They think that because all they've heard is that everyone gets six figure advances or seven figure advances and lives really well. It's like you're not a failure. It's right. like this is the game. You know, we all work our way up. You know, there's the certain publisher that always offers $5,000. you, <laughs> And you have to come back and go, no, I want, you know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I think it's important to speak the truth about things because it helps us, you know, remember that, uh, you know, not everybody walks out and they're a perfect writer or a perfect painter or a perfect. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of grunt work and trench work. And, you know, you fail a lot. Uh, and we don't talk about it once we hit the big time. Once everybody hits the big time, we want to keep up this illusion. Oh, Cheryl Strayed, um, who wrote Wild, um, she has a great uh, story. So she was paid a reasonable amount for the first book. It was like um, $80,000 or $100,000, but it took her four years to write the book. And right. so and 15% goes to your agent and 30% goes to taxes. So it's, it's not as much as you think. But she's literally on tour for Wild. She, it's just been announced. You know, it, it's the... Oprah Book Club, they just announced that it's been optioned for a film. But as a writer, you don't get royalties on your book. You get royalties every six months. So the book had just come out. So she's on book tour. The first month the book is out, it's hitting all these wild reviews, all this huge attention. It's selling all this. Her husband calls her when she's on her book tour and says, our rent check just bounced. Oh, no. (laughs) Because she has no money. 
money. Uh, and get that right. And I love that story because it's like the author line, like you're you're putting on, you know, your power suit. You're like, ah, oh, I'm gonna go in, and I'm a I'm a great writer. And in the meantime, like, oh, my dog just shit on the rug. And I, I don't know how I'm gonna pay. That I have my credit card is past due. And but you're putting up this front that you're like this famous author who has it all together. Um, whereas in the background, which we like to do because success breeds success. People mm-hmm. assume you're successful. They will book you for our stuff, but we're all out there like just faking it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. And even on the, the smaller level on the day to day, I'm going to look successful. I'm going to make my goals. I'm going to, you know, accomplish all these things if I pretend that I can. But that transparency, I think, helps other women understand that they're not alone in this experience. And um, that's that's what I appreciate about you so much is like you're you tell it like it is. And you're like, hey, this this struggle is hard, but I'm here struggling with you. And like every step of the way, I was like, ah, oh, this she's holding my hand. She's here. <laughs> she's got me. <laughs> yes, because we have we've all had that experience, like you were saying, where, oh, no, we we can't pay this bill, but we need to still pretend like we've got it together. I mean, even me in day to day work, if I've ever got issues, I've got to still go to work and perform and I still need to be there. But at the same time, I've still got that struggle. So knowing that you have someone there behind you and with you and experiencing the same things, it's almost like a comfort yeah yeah I know absolutely um you know it's so funny one of the big questions I get all the time is oh how do you how do you find work-life balance that's a bunch of bullshit you don't (laughs) nobody does yeah sometimes you're great at your writing career is going great and your personal life and your gym life sucks and sometimes (laughs) your gym life is going great and your book just tanked and it's just just how it is there's no such thing right um, and yeah, I think we, we do, we sort of live in a world, especially now where we, there's so much curated stuff, right? We curate oh, yes. images that we, and, and even tweets, my agent actually, um, I was going through a, a rough patch, I think, uh, years and a half ago or so. Um, drugs are great anyway for anxiety. I think every writer <laughs> has anxiety. I have such bad anxiety in my family. Um, but so drugs help. And, uh, and she's and I she's like, hey, you know, your tweets are going kind of dark, Cameron. She's like, your editor just emailed me, said, is Cameron okay? And I was like, all right, I need to dial that back. Because you do. Like, I try to, um, there, there's a balance, right, where Definitely. I realize uh, that I can only be so real <laughs> before people go, Jesus, put her on, put her on watch here. Um, and then you have to be, okay, let's, let's maybe step away from the internet for a while. Uh, because there is a professional reputation thing too. Um, but I, I like to, uh, again, keep, keep up that certainly that, uh, my own balance of like how, how, how real is too real. Um, so, right. so yeah, you gotta, gotta, that, that, that's probably the biggest balance that, that I struggle with for sure. Yeah. And on, on that note, in opting in and out of the writing game, you discuss having an opinion as a woman and the risk it involves to speak out. And I just wonder how you balance when the risk is worth the plunge. I find myself editing and curating the way that I speak, particularly about feminism. Um, mm. What are your thoughts there? Um, 
here, here's some of the, the hard, cold facts. If someone wants to kill you, they're going to kill you. Um, if somebody, right? I mean, if someone on the internet, all my stuff is public record. Uh, right. Scalzi, John Scalzi talks about this. You want to go to Ohio, you know, in the county, you get, look up his address. It's real easy. Um, I, I worked at LexisNexis, which is a big um, uh, search provider. They provide public record search where it's like you literally just type in somebody's name. You get everything, their fishing license, their marriage license, all, all in a nice. And you could do a lot of that online now, too. It's mm-hmm. not hard. Um, so when people are like, uh, you know, oh, I'm, I'm really uh, afraid of, um, you know, stating what, what I think I'm just like, well, if they're going to get you, they're going to get you. And here's the thing too. You're still more likely to be hit by a bus. At the end of the day, you're still more likely because people are too lazy. Um, you're still more likely to be hit by a bus. Does it happen? Yes, it happens. And and I don't want to minimize that people get angry. They're like, you don't realize there's real danger. I said, yes, I do realize I've been doing this since 2004. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do. I have seen my mail too. Um, but I also recognize I'm still more likely to die in a car wreck. Um, and here's the thing, this, these sort of on the hate and the, on the trolling and all that, it's a form of terrorism. The whole point of terrorism is for people who don't have as many resources and aren't as, don't feel as powerful, use fear to control you. So if you are controlled by fear, then they win. Uh, and that I have this thing, um, Toby Buckle, uh, is another author and we've, we've talked about how, the, how we have this automatic desire when somebody wants to like someone in authority says no, or you can't, and then you like <laughs> double down and go for it. Um, and there is something that, that bubbles up in me when someone says no, where I'm like, I'll show you my agent with, um, my, my, uh, I just had the stars or Legion come out, which is a all women's space opera. And, um, I know, I'm so I, I, two years ago, yeah, a couple of years ago, yeah. I pitched it to my agent. She goes, mm, I don't know if we can sell a book with no men in it. And I'm like, oh, I'll show you. Watch <laughs> me. I know, right? And, and it, it's done really well. It's just, so far, it's, it's performed the best of my books. So um, so you, like, you never know. And it, it really is. There's something that that inspires in me that's like, well, you just wait. Um, that said, there are certain topics and people have asked, you know, other things that you don't write about. It's like, yeah, I don't write about my relationship with my spouse. I tend not to write about, I don't worry about work, uh, like details of work. I'll do like maybe, hey, here's an anecdote of a sure. story about a client at some point in my history. Um, and I don't, uh, I, I don't like to address uh, sexual violence or, or stuff about fertility and whether or not women should have children because it's no one's business. Exactly. There are certain subjects I'm just like, I'm going to leave that one and I, I don't need to tackle it. Um, and that was, I, and I established that very, very early on. And I think again, John Scalzi, um, who's a science fiction writer is a lot of, um, posting as well. He says he has things too. They're just certain subjects you go, I'm not going to hand, I'm not going to do this. And then sometimes it also comes down to your spoons, um, which is, you know, how much energy you have to deal with the blowback. There have been times, um, I know there was something a writer did, um, and, and, a, another, uh, uh, person in the science fiction community came to me and he said, you know, I can't believe you didn't do a post about what that dude said. And I said, listen, it wasn't worth it. It was an offhand thing they did. They do a lot of other good in this society. Other people had it and they were taking care of it. It's not worth my time. I, I have uh, shit to do. I've got books to write. I can only, I, I pick battles when I feel that they're important. Um, you know, I think I wrote a piece at one point, um, where I kind of, uh, you know, disagreed with Neil Gaiman's, uh, use of the, uh, title trigger warnings. Right. I felt it the term and, and I had a, I had a big post about it, but I knew I was, his, they, his, the fanboys were going to come after it. Neil's great. He's wonderful. He retweeted <laughs> the piece and 
he's a, he's a great dude. But yeah, his man, those fans, they right. get so angry. I'm like, we're just talking. We just <laughs> we can disagree and it's fine. It's totally um, allowed. Right? He's not invaluable. So, yeah. No, that... it's okay to speak about things and disagree. <laughs> exactly. I feel like a lot of people run into that, though. As soon as someone disagrees, it becomes so much more heated, I guess. Um, and then especially when in regards to the feminist movement. I mean, I witnessed something just the other day where somebody literally just said the word feminist and it spurred this huge conversation, almost like political battle for no reason. And it, oh. it was just because the word feminism was used in in the original comment. And it, it just, it was insane to me. I couldn't believe how heated people got over something so small. Wow. Um, you know, it doesn't, it, uh, uh, again, like there's this level of rhetoric uh, and, and, and obviously it's, it's crawled into the mainstream mm-hmm. um, where, yeah, it's like there's, we are not allowed to have common ground and there's only black and white and there's only this or that. Um, and people are absolutely convinced of their, their particular narrative and story about things. Um, and it's, it's gotten to the point where, yeah, you know, when we, when we can't even have discourse, uh, polite discourse is right. <laughs> pretty, pretty bad. And one of the things, you know, people, um, you know, I know you guys, you guys talked about, yeah, how do I get this stuff out to the masses? Um, you know, when I wrote, we have always fought the, the essay about the history of women in conflict. Um, I specifically, the word feminist is never used, mm-hmm. um, nor is cisgendered or misand or misandry or misogyny or, um, any of those hot button, right? The ones where people, ah, Trigger words, yeah. <laughs> words. Yeah, they become trigger words. Like literally provoking <laughs> extreme reaction. Um, and uh, instead, I'm like, I'm going to talk about llamas because what could be more innocuous than llamas? Monty Python llamas. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's genius. Um, You're a genius. Right? And, that's, and it literally was my thinking was I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ease them in and then I'm going to start hitting them. I'm going to go and then here's this story and here's it. Because we also process, this is really important too, that entire essay is um, told in this, a series of stories. Right. Um, they're all little vignettes. Human beings, and I, I work in marketing and advertising as my day job, and human beings are wired for story. We don't care about your bulleted list of facts. You can tell me all day, you know, that, um, you know, so this or that or the other thing happened. But if I have a deep held absolute belief, I'll just be like, well, I reject those facts, right? As we've right. seen times. But if you tell them a story, um, if you tell them a story uh, and 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 they connect with that story emotionally, they are much more likely to believe and remember what you have told them uh, than if you just list facts. And I, I feel like that's where we're running into a lot of problems right now. And, uh, you know, the larger national discourse uh, and, of course, it with feminism and stuff, too, is we keep saying, but these are the facts. Right. These are true things. Right. And it seems so stupid. It's like, but literally there's a picture. <laughs> there's more people here than here. You know, uh, right. two plus two does not equal five. But you can say that all day. Um, and people have these. We are human beings and we are wired for belief and story. So what instead we have to tell um we have to tell compelling stories and build compelling narratives. And so disjointed, right? We all have so many different things that are important to us. Uh, it's been very hard to kind of come and make a, um, a, a narrative that we all share. One of the things I know uh, I was reading uh, Obama's exit interview and he said, you know, he was talking about how he, he realizes we no longer have like a national story that we 
all believe in that this is America, right? Here, there's America and this is how things, these are the facts. We no longer have that. And he right. said, what we need to do to, to fix things, or we're going to have civil war, basically. He didn't say that, but <laughs> I'll say it. Um, we're going to have civil war, right? right. Thinking, of, thinking of me saying that, right, um, uh, as a offhand possibility is, is crazy, but it's, it's an offhand possibility, um, is we have to be able to find a common narrative. And he recognizes right. the need to be able to find a common story. Here's who we are and what we do and um, what we're all striving for. What is bringing us together? What do we believe in? Um, and, uh, and, and he's very good at, you know, belief and hope and, and all of those things. Um, but man, uh, trying to make that national story is the only thing that's going to save us. And it's, it's really going to take a concerted effort, but that's how nations are built. And that's how nations are destroyed, um, is these dual dueling narratives, because at some point something breaks. So, yeah. I worry about the way that we speak, particularly because I, I worry that I'm just going to be yelling into an echo chamber forever if I, I talk about something that um, people are only going to listen to because they already agree. So I'm trying to figure out a way to speak that doesn't isolate the other side so that maybe they can get a glimpse into to our own and, and find that middle ground somewhere. And I, I just... I. I vacillate between am I being too soft by by putting this in a way that other people can hear it or am I just going to forever be talking to people that already you know listen to me you know I think there is a balance between writing for the people who are your target audience mm -hmm. and writing for the people um, who stumble across your work. Um, need to hear it. Who need to hear it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and again, some of that is again, starting with a story and a story that doesn't immediately, um, you know, turn people off. So start with innocuous things, dogs and kittens and which sounds <laughs> and soft, llamas, right? right? And llamas. It sounds <laughs> soft, but the deeper you get into it, the weirder it is. Um, again, stars are legion. Um, another great example, uh, is I, I started off that book um, with this it, it, and I sold it as a, a regular sort of space. It's just a space opera and it's a really fun adventure and it's gross and gooey and there's organic world ships and there's a civil war and like, explosions, dogs and cats <laughs> coming together. Uh, and that's what you sell it as. Um, but, uh, and I was actually talking to a, a, another reader who, um, you know, said, Hey, thanks for writing this book. Uh, and I said, yeah, I'm amazed it's done so well. It's basically one big abortion allegory. Women, you know, who, uh, the ship, uh, you know, uh, kind of takes, takes hold of them and, and decides what they're going to birth, like births parts of ship, the ship. Uh, and they decide they have taken over, you know, some of them, uh, have decided to control their fertility in different ways. And, um, and they're basically taking control, uh, you know, of the Legion in this way. So anyway, it's, a, it's basically one big abortion. Okay, but do I sell it? Is that no, <laughs> <laughs> um, but she got it right. It was like when you're talking to your target audience, they get it. And she said, honestly, you know, she said, you know, I've struggled a lot with fertility issues and, um, you know, it, it really was cathartic for me to read this book. Um, and I said, it was cathartic to me to write it. So I'm glad, awesome. I'm glad that it connected. Yeah. With you. So it's like when you're, when you are going out into the masses in the wider world, you pitch it as something else. Um, but your target gets it right. Um, right. your, your, your knows exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, by the time a lot of the people get to the end and go, the fuck did I just, read? <laughs> <laughs> 
surprised, but it was it was engrossing. It was a page turner. And then like I keep thinking about that book. So that's that's it to me is is you find you you pitch it as the things that seem soft, right? Oh, it's explosions, civil, explosions in the Civil War, soft. Um, but then, <laughs> you know, um, but you're telling a deeper story, uh, and and I I think that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and in fact, it's better again because we're hardwired for the story. We don't want to be preached to. Yeah. Um, we want to be engaged in narrative and pre- think we're thinking for ourselves. Lots of people say to me, "Oh, marketing doesn't work on me." Gosh, I really want a McDonald's <laughs> coffee. I just passed a billboard a while back, but they had McDonald's on it. But they're not related. Not related. Absolutely um, not. No. <laughs> no. 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 I'm my own uh, person. Exactly, my own person, just like everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So I kind of wanted to touch on my absolute favorite, I guess, chapter or section of your book is the body image section. Um, I feel like absolutely every woman has experienced this at one time or another, where it's just you're uncomfortable with in your own skin. And it's not always the easiest to go out and be yourself in certain situations. And sometimes it can kind of hinder you when you're trying to move forward. I know I've actually just recently experienced that because I had a beautiful baby girl a couple years ago and your body doesn't follow along with the joy of having a baby. (laughs) Um, So it actually took a really big toll on me at work and being able to succeed at work, I definitely found myself um, doubting myself because of my own personal body image. So I kind of wanted to touch on that and just kind of talk to you and pick your brain about what you did to overcome that. I know you kind of talked about in the book where um, one day you just decided I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to um, put myself through the ringer anymore when it comes to this. Um, but I just kind of wanted to to see what your thoughts were on helping others kind of come to that. Um, you know, it's difficult because I had to go through uh, what I think psychologists would, would call a profound emotional experience, which was nearly dying, right? Um, I'll never forget coming home um, from the hospital, from the ICU. I was there for about a week and it turned out I had a chronic illness. And, um, and coming back and I, I think I had lost... I was, I think I was a uh, 160 pounds, which for me, I've never, never, right. I'm, I'm usually my, my, like 220 is me at like, people go, Oh wow, you look, you look fit and great at 220. Um, so I was 160 pounds. I'd never been in my adult life. Uh, in fact, I've been, I've been wearing size 12 jeans since I was like 12. Um, <laughs> and I came in and, uh, you know, my mom's like, my mom was on the phone with my dad and he's, she's like, Oh, she looks so great. She looks so good. And I thought, I thought I've just come out of the hospital. I'm dying. Literally, I'm I'm the reason I've lost all this weight is because I'm dying. Uh, and I remember going in and I'm I'm covered in bruises, right? Because they were got my arms and stuff. I mean, I, they brought me to the ICU and I was out. Right. Um, and uh so I was covered in bruises and I could barely use my hands, my feet were numb. And I went into my room to put on the size 12 uh, jeans and they were way too big for me. And I was like, and I just start, started sobbing. And I was like, I will never. And I, I promised myself at that point. I said, no matter how much ga- weight I gain or lose, uh, this is bullshit. This is all made up. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is this is bullshit made up. And it is to my detriment that I have spent all this time trying to achieve something that now I've achieved by almost dying. Yeah, when you are supposed <laughs> to like, not look kind of good, <laughs> that, right? Yeah. Um, 
I'm the least healthy I've ever been. Again, it's all marketing. It's all bullshit. Yes. Um, and it, that, at that, that was the moment where, um, you know, and, you know, I went on to, to regain you know, everything and, and plus some, but I didn't care anymore. Uh, it was like, am I happy in my life? Um, am I, you know, is my career successful? Uh, can I do the things that I want to do? It's like, yes, I totally can, but it is hard. Uh, and that, that, and that's not to say that, you know, oh, then those things go away. I mean, you still think again, the, the public speaking while fat post, um, you know, you still go up and you are on TV and they take pictures and you're like, oh my God, like I was interviewed <laughs> by this little tiny woman. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm like three times bigger than her on the screen. Like Jesus, Sally, <laughs> ah! <laughs> um, but, uh, but I was like, you know, uh, you, you have to, you have to kind of change how, cause I, you know, we, we are all the product of our culture. I mean, I, I view myself through the lens of my own culture and I'm like, well, yeah, but am I happy and I'm healthy and I'm alive. Right. Uh, and, and so I, I have to go out and, and just be like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna enjoy my life. Uh, because again, it goes back and it goes back to, um, you know, the haters want me to stay home, right? Yes. Uh, the, it's very political <laughs> act to get up and, and give a keynote address, uh, you know, at uh, 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 somebody, again, uh, Roxanne Gay, right, deals with the same thing. Um, and she, uh, and so you just have to kind of go, you know, what is the, what is the trade-off? Um, because people do, they want to keep us relentlessly involved in this pursuit of bullshit because it sells widgets. It sells mm -hmm. widgets and mm -hmm. people who feel bad about themselves buy more shit. Right. Again, I'm in marketing. True. I know these things. And I, and every time I catch my, I, I try to catch myself every time. Um, it's like, am I really unhappy or am I unhappy, you know, because then it will make me buy more shit. I'm happy because I just looked at a, you know, read a magazine article about something <laughs> about it, or I saw a billboard. I'm like, oh, if only I can wear clothes like, and they're like, oh shit, it's all fake. Um, and sometimes it's like, there was this, there's this realization that I think uh, all of us need to go through, which is, uh, we all feel like most of us, you know, the vast majority, funny enough, feel like, like there's something wrong with us because the world doesn't fit us, right? Or the society mm -hmm, doesn't, mm -hmm. we're not the broken ones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> society is the messed up one. It's just this massive bullshit and cobbled together stuff and made up things and it, false boxes and um, it's the messed up one. And I think when you reconceptualize that and you say, oh, I'm not screwed up. It's the world that's screwed up because I'm trying to fit myself literally in the case of like airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> trying to fit myself into a world that is not, you know, that's fucked up. It's not made for me. Um, and so I think once you shift that narrative, again, I'll come back to what is the story you tell yourself? Um, it, it becomes a lot easier. Again, does that mean every day is easy? No. Um, but every time you go out and you're speaking to people and you are sharing your thoughts, um, that's one win for you and one loss for the haters. So that always that always helps me, too. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and when you kind of take that narrative away from the, the typical societal narrative and write your own story, you get to write the ending and you get to decide, you know, am I happy? Am I this? Am I that? And I think there's some some power there when you start to to glom onto your own story and, and rewrite it. Yeah, I agree. Um, one of the things, you know, I thought about after I, I came out of the ICU was I said, you know, if I would have died right then, would I have been happy? 
Uh, and I was like, yeah, actually I would have, because I was actively pursuing, I was, I was working on, um, my first novel, God's War at the time. Um, and, uh, I was, I just sold some short stories. I'd been to the Clearinghouse writing workshop. I was living in Chicago. Um, I had been to South Africa, I traveled around the world. I was like, you know what I did, I, I'm living the life I want to live. And I think at every point, um, I ask myself, am I, am I living the life I want to live? Um, because I have all these extra years now, uh, and I better do something with them. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were given a second chance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, they told me, uh, one guy said, you know, if they would have brought you in here 20 years ago, you'd be dead. They said, but you know, the, the, by the time we got to you, um, you know, my, my, uh, I have a type one diabetes, which is actually, um, a, uh, immune disorder. A lot of mm -hmm. people confuse the two, but it's an immune disorder. So it's like literally my body like destroyed all of my, the cells that produce insulin. And so my entire body was just basically like a big ball of honey. <laughs> it was like full <laughs> of sugar. Uh, and so I had like liquid sugar, uh, for blood. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like I, I, I started convulsing and, uh, and, uh, yeah, apparently I was, I was out my girlfriend at the time called 911 and the paramedics came and I was out for like two days and yeah, came to and, um, yeah, they're trying to get a line in my arm. There's blood everywhere. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So <laughs> that's a yeah, weird wake yeah. up call. <laughs> it was a weird wake up. Let me tell you, like what horror story? Again, people are like, how do you write this weird shit? I'm like, well, let me tell you. About my <laughs> um, you haven't heard was, anything was, yet. I know. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, and it was, I, I, I absolutely felt that afterwards that, uh, you know, especially when they came in once I was cognizant and we're just like, yeah, you, you came in 20 years ago. You're, you were toast. You were way, way far gone. So, so yeah. Yeah. Well, we're glad we have you. <laughs> <laughs> Us especially. I'm sitting here with stars in my eyes, listening to you, just loving everything that's happening. <laughs> we had some listeners who were also very excited to get to hear from you. Um, I have a listener question, if I could. She says, for me, a feminist critique sometimes feels like a knee-jerk reaction. Like, I can't help saying, it was good, but, insert feminist critique here. Am I a broken record, or am I consuming the wrong media, or do I just have to be critical in this fashion all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the, the thing that sucks about sexism and racism and all those things that you didn't... If you were someone who, you know, grew up being told... Um, you know, that everything was equal and things were great. And then you like had your awakening. Mm -hmm. Um, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Uh, and my <laughs> husband, my husband's all the time. Now, he's just like, shit. Um, cause I will, I think, I think we came out of, we came out of rogue one or something and I didn't say anything. And we just, he turns to me and goes, there's one woman in that whole group of people. I'm like, yeah. He's mm -hmm. like, once you see this shit, you can't unsee it. It's like, yep. Um, and he'll actually be the one now, right? Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't even want to spoil it. Some of that was really enjoyable. I don't even want to talk about it. Cause I, yeah. you know, and then he'll bring it up. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, it, it is. Uh, it, and that's okay. And I, I think that's important to understand. A lot of people think, Hey, because this part of this thing is broken that I can't enjoy it or can't watch it again. I'm rewatching moonlighting, which has a horror. It's horrible. <laughs> <What is this? laughs> but it's about 
two detectives and it's the 80s and I like the 80s and detecting. Um, so <laughs> you, you kind of endure some of the, the bullshit. And I, I have like everyone has a tolerance. There, there are certain things where I'm like, nope, I'm tuned. I'm noping out of that and I'm not going to do it. Other things where I'll say, you know, there's enough good stuff in here that I'm willing to, uh, you know, put up with the other stuff. But when I write my reviews, I will note that those things. Um, right. You know, uh, I'll be like, yeah, this was a good book. But there was this weird attempted rape attempt thing on I don't even know what the hell that was about and like there's there's things that I'll just point out and it's okay again we can again it comes back to that whole thing where we think we can't argue we can't have a different opinion or it becomes a battle and it's not it's just this is we're having a discussion about media and about stories um and that's we should just accept that as that being okay it's okay to like problematic things um I like tons of problems I love (laughs) right um and they're they're so much fun and they're so fucking problematic. Um, but I, I love them. And, and there's plenty of books I read that I, I reread and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I I did that. Um, so so yeah, it, good luck turning that off first of all. <laughs> yeah, now you might. Uh, there is there better media uh, certainly, but also I do think it's incredibly important, especially now because. Um, Believe it or not, like they are listening to us. Uh, there's lots of TV creators, lots of script writers, producers, um, uh, folks online, and they are listening to the things that we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it may, again, we feel like it's this glacial pace of change, um, but it is happening. Um, and I think the 100 was a really great example when um, they killed off a, a character uh, in a problematic way. <laughs> uh, and the fandom went nuts rightfully so mm-hmm. i understood I, when i read what they did i was like oh oh yeah um <laughs> and, uh, and and yeah and it, it it really cost them and, and all of a sudden people went oh no this is like this does real harm to people this is a harmful narrative that we're perpetuating mm-hmm. and we totally didn't you know and one person of course the script writer was like, yeah i tagged it and i was told to do it anyway you know so, <laughs> so sometimes you can't this you know the the showrunner says and you do what you gotta do but all you can do is speak up and say hey we're gonna get shit for this and if they Mm -hmm. say go then you go but now you can say remember what happened to the 100 (laughs) 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 and and it's i i love the idea too of all this this media coming out and then the fans now having the ability to have a conversation with it it's Mm -hmm. it's not just being given to us on a spoon and we have to accept it um, so the, the way that you talked about, um, for instance, uh, Mad Max, and can I just tell you, I like squealed with joy when you called him a manic pixie dream guy. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I, I love that you can have this conversation and see things from other people's point of view because the, these reviews are coming out and saying when something is problematic or saying, you know, Hey, this character could have maybe survived or maybe not died in that problematic way and here's why and what that means in the bigger picture um it allows the conversation between the consumers and those who are producing that media and i just love that i, I geek out about that pretty hard yeah i uh, again as a creator um i i love it too uh, i love the ability you know, do I respond to reviews? No, because that's just, it's bad. But I do read reviews. Uh, don't respond to reviews, especially on good reviews. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, but but I, I love to read them because it's true. If you see one person who's like, blah, 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 but Sandry, you know, that usually just sells a lot of books in my case. Uh, people are like, I gotta see what this is. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so 
but uh, I do read them and people, and if, uh, you know, several people point out, you know, this is a problematic thing. I definitely, I take a note and I go, well, shit. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I'm listening and I, I love being able, like, to me, it's a gift. Uh, and I know not all creators are like that. They feel, oh, I'm attacked, being attacked. And I'm like, what on <laughs> some words on Twitter, right? Again, I'm very, like, is someone at your house with a, a bomb because you know these are people on Twitter giving their opinions about a book many of whom aren't even tagging you so why are you trolling Twitter looking for anyway yes. um, <laughs> so there's warriors. a way yeah there's a <laughs> difference anyway uh, hat tip there writers like listen up um, so uh, so yeah I, I feel it's a gift um, it, I may disagree or I may say hey you know I did these particular things on purpose and you know that that's cool that you wished it was this kind of book but that's not the book that I wanted to write and mm-hmm. you know, that, that's great I don't need to email Email them. I don't need to respond on their blog. I don't need to tell them what their reading experience really is as the author. I just say, hmm, interesting. And I move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I love it. Um, like I said, not, not everyone does, but uh, I think it helps <laughs> be a better writer and a better storyteller, uh, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like that you also brought up Gamergate. I actually had not ever even heard about that in my ah. life. And it, uh, yeah, I was kind of shocked too because I, I've This is what been, we do? Yeah, I've been doing this. And then also I play video games a lot. So oh I God. heard about that and I was like, wow, I cannot believe that that turned into that big of a thing. And obviously I'm living under a rock because I didn't hear about it, but... But that is crazy to me that there was that large of a basically bully movement and it was not addressed higher or I I guess addressed in a more obvious way via video games um, as far as like protecting their their users. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things, uh, you know, we look back now and it was a precursor of things to come because, you know, what ends up happening is when horrible things um, are said and done online to uh, to women of all races and, and men of color and, and um, LGBT, you know, mm-hmm. QA uh, youth, um, you know, you when 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 they do it and they don't get any pushback and this is why when the the bullying of immigrants is very um very uh not a good sign right now uh in the national conversation because you try it out on certain populations and then you take it bigger uh and that's that's really what i saw gamergate a lot of the gamergate kind of transform into was a larger national uh you know troll movement Yes. Um, to, to put a troll, literally put a troll in, uh, in office and it worked. Um, so Sadly. Uh, literally one of the world's yeah biggest internet trolls. Um, so, so, you know, what happened was, yeah, people, the mainstream didn't take it seriously. It was just this bullying that was happened just quote unquote. And literally, and again, this was not just some hate, but just some hateful stuff online. They were swatting. I mean, they were calling this, they would call the SWAT team in. Um, they was somebody drove their car into somebody's house on the way to some other, some woman's house. I mean, there, there were bomb threats. I mean, there were, there were legitimate things that, um, that were physical. Yeah. Physical safety um, concerns and no one, you know, venues wouldn't take it seriously. I know Anita Sarkeesian uh, had talked about wanting uh, additional security at one of her events and the school said, no, you don't need that. And she's like, well, then I need to cancel. Cause you can't uh, literally people, this is, this is not someone said, Oh, you know, 
um, you're ugly on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I'm going to kill you at this time in this place in this manner. Yes. Um, it's become and a plan. Serious. Yeah. It, this is not. And, and instead it was, well, boys will be boys in the Internet. Um, and so My that became. Line. Yeah. And so that became um, it normalized it. So. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, and again, we look back uh, and we, we always love to tell ourselves these things. Well, it was only a few hundred people and they had a lot of sock puppet accounts and it was this and that and the other thing. Um, but the problem is, again, as with any terrorist sort of, uh, you know, movement, it's like it. It can, as soon as it hijacks the narrative um, and nobody takes it seriously and assumes that it's, you know, uh, all going to be fine, um, then then we start to run into trouble. So yeah. uh, you have to crack down it. That Those should have been taken absolutely seriously. Um, Twitter should have shut down all those accounts uh, very, very quickly. Um, and it should never have have uh, progressed to the place where it has been. I, I often think um you know, if our uh, our our regime's uh, new head had been like banned from Twitter two years ago, right, for anti-Semitic hate speech, how different our world would be. Uh, I, and I'd look at that and I just those those decisions that we make, right, and how the ramifications that they have on everything uh, else, and by not taking all those things seriously and not taking women's words uh, and the words of uh, you know uh, the targeted groups seriously, we we really uh, ceded a lot of ground. So yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And you actually kind of hit the nail on the head when you brought up um, it being terrorism. I mean, that's you're terrorizing somebody. And I feel like we definitely have come to a place where we're afraid to use that word for people within the United States, um, specifically white males. I mean, it's it's we're afraid to use that word, but that is exactly what it is. I mean, you're looking at them calling in SWAT teams and running into houses, and it's a large group of people. That's exactly what terrorism is. <laughs> yep. yep, yep. It's designed to provoke provoke fear to get uh, to get the desired response. You know, to shut people up. Um, and it's exactly, it's exactly what it is. Uh, and yeah, it is so funny. It's always, oh, it's a, it's a lone gunman. I'm like, no, it's, it's a, <laughs> and it, it is, it is interesting. And I know, you know, how long, yeah, I, we waited pretty, pretty long till I brought up the, the Nazi, uh, Nazi comparison. Uh, but, <laughs> but you do look at, uh, you know, young, young disaffected men are, are really always targeted for, um, uh, again, these sort of nationalist movements, uh, because they want to be, you know, belong to something bigger than themselves. Um, and they're kind of shiftless and they don't know really what to do. And they feel, feel like they've lost power, which it, because equality does feel like that when you're used to getting everything, equality does feel like a loss of power to, mm -hmm. um, to the, to the group that was in power. Um, uh, because now you actually have to compete with everyone fairly. Yes, it's <laughs> not pie shocking, though. Right? Yeah, it's not but a pie. I, I, We're not taking away from you. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and yeah, it's it's terrifying because uh, they they just they don't know how to deal with it, and so they find someone to blame, and then they all get together and you know they they do their thing. It's very uh, someone brought out the movie Fight Club. I love Fight Club uh, as a film. <laughs> um but it it it's certainly in it, it's part of it, that was the first sort of um collective inkling of that there was some you know disaffected youth who were going to be searching for some sort of meaning in life uh because we have no war. We have no great depression. Um the great <laughs> depression is our lives. You know, I love that. I love that show. Uh, cause I, I'm, I'm down with fight club, but I see, I see what they're saying. It's that cult mentality. And a lot of, a lot of that came out of, you know, uh, online, uh, became a really great place for people to find others, uh, who felt the same and, and take collective action in a way that was, 
uh, quite, quite, uh, again, terrorist and, uh, and abusive. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. So from here, um, we've, we've touched on like, a lot of really great parts of your book and, um, more infatuated with you now than even after I read your book. So <laughs> I think this was a success. Um, <laughs> we always end on some action items for our listeners. Do you have any action items that you think that would be great for our listeners to kind of apply to their day-to-day life? Uh, I, I subscribe to a, a, a site called fivecalls.org and it's just a number five calls.org. Uh, it basically tells you, hey, here are the like hot button things, especially in your state. It's it's targeted to your state uh, that you can do if you're in the U.S. Um, to uh, basically make your voice heard. So there's there's lots of different uh, I, I would certainly where we've reached the point, you know, it's so funny. We we keep waiting for someone to save us. Um, Anthony Bourdain in his show was, was there was a great quote where he said, yeah, you know, fashion is so, fashion is so appealing to people because we just want some man to ride in on a horse and save us. And it's like, <laughs> that's not democracy. Um, and we don't want that. And what that means is what democracy means is everyone has to get up off their ass. Um, so you do have to get your hands dirty. But if you want to have these rights, you need to understand the the arc of history does act does not bend toward justice. It doesn't. It bends towards tyranny. Um, mm-hmm. the, the default state is people want to get away with as much as they can get away with. It's like the only way that you're going to achieve, you know, keep achieving that progress is to keep pushing and keep calling, uh, keep showing up. Um, and sometimes, again, it feels overwhelming. You're like, I can't do anything. And I always say, then do one thing every week. And you because ha- you got to do your work because your work is also again they want you to be scared they want this is always again this helps me get out of bed in the morning they want (laughs) you to be scared they want you to shut up they want you to stop tweeting and being angry and faxing them and calling them so what's the first thing you need to do is you need to get up you need to call them (laughs) um because that's that's what they want they want you to be cowed so uh and again and i have that story to, to look back on you know hey my my grandmother made it through nazi occupied france i can get through this um, and I, I do tell myself that uh, quite often. <laughs> there you go. Good motivation. <laughs> right. So as an action item, take a step back, realize that, you know, things are changing and that you can be part of that. Listen to the words of Cameron Hurley and uh, get out there and make some change happen. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you so much, Cameron. This has been l- the most awesome interview slash conversation. So thank you so much for this. Oh, 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 thank you so much for having me, you guys. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you had as much fun as we did with Cameron today. <laughs> she was pretty awesome. I'm I'm definitely loving her more now than ever before. Yep. <laughs> hope you guys are too. Make sure that you please, please, please go and rate and review us and also follow us if you're not already on Facebook as well as Instagram. And we now have a Twitter. Also, we are now sponsored by Audible. So head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash dames, not damsels. Uh, start your free 30-day trial. Take a look at The Geek Feminist Revolution by Cameron Hurley if you haven't already. It's an amazing book that I feel a lot of people would really love, especially if you love our show. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.